With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Authentic U Radio. Featuring the debut show of Carousel Partners International, a renowned group of expert coaches worldwide bringing their services together collaboratively and offering them to you in contribution. With host Jeffrey Miller, renowned author, international speaker, also known as the Interventionist. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon to the world. It is a glorious day. I hope you're all feeling as blessed in this gorgeous day as I am up here in the northeast of the United States. We are seeing spring. Thank you, God. Oh, wow. It's been a long winter. That said, I want to say welcome, and thank you for joining us today for our show, Carousel Partners International, with the noted authority coaches of of Carousel Partners International, brought to you by Authentic You Media Radio. And we're very happy to be with Authentic You. We're having some great shows, and we've got a phenomenal lineup for our future, and I hope you'll all be listening. That said, we are on a subject today near and dear to my heart and many, low self-esteem. Self-esteem in general is one of those things that we all have to have. We have to have a healthy self-esteem. It has to be a balance. It's the it's like the old seesaw, so to speak, back in the day when they used to have one before insurance companies said you couldn't have them in the playground. But, you know, it had to be a balance. If you had somebody who was a little too heavy on one end, the seesaw didn't work so well. Healthy self-esteem is very similar to that. It has to be wholesome. And, and there has to be a conviction in one's life that they feel worthwhile. And, and, you know, on one hand, sometimes we feel that quiet gladness to be who we are with a sense of dignity that comes from realizing that we share what all humans possess, and that's intrinsic worth. To know your intrinsic worth is extremely valuable in self-esteem. Okay, then there's those with self-esteem that remain humble, they realize that everyone has much to learn, and that we're really all in the same boat when you come right down to it. What we have today and who we have today is fantastic. This is a new era for us, Carousel Partners International, a group, as I mentioned earlier, of noted authorities in their chosen field of endeavor dealing with human needs psychologies in many different areas, each one of us wanting to lead with contribution beyond the uh, to, uh, to the benefit excuse me, of others and to help others. That's really our key in this group, and to many that we are also involved with with the Authentic You team. That said, I want to welcome Gail Vilkew. Hi, Gail. How are you? Hi, Jeffrey. I'm great. Thank you so much for Thank having you. me on today. Thanks for being with us. Also, Sheila Wilson, calling in from Arizona. Hi, Arizona. Hi Sheila. Hi, Jeffrey. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thank you. And Tanya Fines from the great country of New Zealand down under. How are you today, Tanya? I'm great, Jeff. Hi. Well, welcome to the three of you. This is fantastic. And we have a team of approximately 13 noted authority coaches working with us in Carousel Partners, and we expect that we'll have some other call-ins as we go through the show. I want to start by really addressing this issue of self-esteem. I mean, Self-esteem in a healthy way is is exactly what we want. But, you know, Gail, I'm going to start with you. We all experience problems with life. We all have self-esteem issues. And sometimes, you know, internally we don't consider them self-esteem. We don't really put that name to it, that word to it. We just have stuff that goes on in our lives, especially when we're maturing as teens, trying to figure out who we are, where do we fit into the world, one of the toughest areas of life probably is that tween area, that between child and adult, okay? Where where do you see it as going from there? You know, so many people, they, they just lock this stuff in to their brain because it's what we learn, and we learn what we live and live what we learn. Go ahead, Yeah, Jill. yeah. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. 
Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, self-esteem at a young age, that's kind of when you're right, when it kind of gets locked into our subconscious of who we design ourselves to be. And we create this internal dialogue that fuels the belief of who we are. And then um, what I've, even with myself, when I was younger, that's what I had as an what I call the internal critic. And that internal critic would be what was my fuel to keep me... Um, keep criticizing myself or keep me from doing what I really wanted to do out of the fear of not doing it good enough or that I wasn't good enough that I could actually succeed at it um, until I got older and started to learn. Um, and it really is a learned behavior of, of how we how we um, be, become um, a, a product of our environment and and as as children, whether it's our parents or our teachers or our siblings, if we're constantly hearing that we're not good enough or we can't do this or we shouldn't do this, and that that's the big one that really drives me crazy is the shouldn't, because when we're told that we shouldn't do it, right away the subconscious takes on that it's something that we can't do. Mm-hmm. And so that inner critic fuels the the self-hatred or the misunderstanding of what we can do or we can't do. And it actually becomes then our worst critic throughout our life. And if we don't learn how that sabotaging voice can really control our life and keep us from not succeeding or not doing what we want to do, then it keeps us um, small. It, it, it does not allow us to go out and make mistakes or even try and make mistakes because we're so fearful of that failure. And then it kind of leads us into that area of, wanting to be per- perfect. And if we're not perfect, then we're not going to try. Mm-hmm. And exactly. so it's kind of like it's kind of like a whole roller coaster ride that we put ourselves on and we really do as we grow older, we really do put it on ourselves, but like you were saying in the earlier years, it's kind of like designed or or we're molded by I guess the only way I could say it is a product of our environment. Life if experience, what, correct? Yeah. Right. If that's what we're if that's what we're subjected to, then that's what we're going to believe. Because we, especially by our parents, because who else are we going to turn to if if our parents aren't? You know, if if our parents are telling us this, who are we as little kids to say that that's not right? We don't have anyone else to say to us, or in most cases, we don't have anybody else in our life that says, no, you know, you, you can do this. I never I never did, and I know the people that I've talked to and my friends that I've had these conversations with, they never had anyone um, to, to tell them any differently that they could, they could go out and do, um, they could have whatever they wanted to, um, to do, they could go out and be whatever they wanted to be. And, and so it, it, keeps you, it keeps you limited. And then, um, and then you, you, live, you live your life with, with lots of regrets and, and, and actually becoming a really distraught person inside because you're controlled. Exactly. You know, it's amazing because there we go back to intrinsic worth. You know, what is your intrinsic worth? And I had somebody say to me the other day, I don't really understand intrinsic. It means great value. What is your worth? What do you feel you're worth? I, myself, in coaching, have talked about it many times. I'll throw a lot of, a lot of bills out in front of me and say, excuse me, look look at all this money. Well, what is that? Well, that's um, $100, $50. What are you worth? What do you think you're worth? It's kind of a funny way of a little bit of a metaphoric value to throw it on it. Sheila, this is this is yes. an inter- This is going to be a – folks, I'm going to tell you, this is going to be fantastic. I can tell you already we are going to get into some wonderful, wonderful discussion here. Many people – with great self-esteem, remain very humble. They realize that, you know, we all have a lot to learn. And as I mentioned earlier, we're kind of all in the same boat in a sense. They, they unfortunately, those with low self-esteem are very sensitive to criticism. They go into social withdrawal. They feel hostility, excessive preoccupation with personal problems, physical symptoms such as fatigue, insomnia, headaches. You, in your vast experience... Give give us a little insight on, on that or other items that you think uh, are, are a sure show of a person actually coming to grips with, hey, I think I have a self-esteem issue. That's a great question, Jeffrey. I've been um, practicing as a psychotherapist um, in private practice for about 10 years. I've been in the field for maybe 20 years. And I see a lot of individuals who come to my practice for the symptoms 
I'm depressed, I'm anxious, um, and, and they may qualify for other more significant mental illness diagnoses. And what we find so often is the issue of self-esteem, that when we have greater value and see our own worth as an individual without comparing ourselves to others, being able to transcend perhaps some of the negative or less self-esteem-building experiences in our life, um, like we were just talking about a moment ago, um, you know, uh, from caregivers and authority figures and teachers and other peer pressure experiences, when we can really honor who we are um, in, in a very truthful and honest way, we are moving more into wellness. And so I like to work on symptom reduction with my clients because naturally it gives them a lot of confidence in our relationship and the work that we do and, and take care of that as quickly as possible. But then that opens up the opportunity for us to go deeper, to look deeper. Self-esteem is often seen as a personality trait, which means that it tends to be stable and enduring. And what the good news is nothing is fixed. And I believe that as long as we're still in a human suit bouncing around the planet, we have an opportunity to change and grow. We don't have to stay stuck. And I think that is a belief um, that I, I like to empower my clients with to begin to have positive experiences now, today, at any age, and and begin to adopt what's called self-efficacy, which is a piece of self-esteem, the belief in one's own ability to perform well, the belief that I can have uh, the capabilities to organize and execute any course of action required to manage a prospective situation. And that's just not hope, that's belief. And so I do a lot of work with belief systems, um, and in helping my clients identify limiting beliefs. It isn't necessary to even go back in history um, from a Freudian standpoint and try and figure out, you know, where did I get this from? This is the way the mind-body system works. We internalize um, uh, mindful representations of our experience, whether it's accurate or not. This is what we perceive and this is what we begin to believe. And with those unconscious beliefs, we create anywhere from 80 to maybe 95% of our reality. And then we wonder, why is this happening? I may have confidence in myself in this area, but this part of my life isn't working well. Where is this coming from? And being able to really be honest with oneself and understand that there are some self-esteem issues that may not show up in one aspect of our lives, but do show up in another, is a way of specifically identifying what's not working in my life, what I don't want, and then begin to focus on what I do want. And there are various exciting techniques that we can use to help change those limiting beliefs and uh, really raise our self-esteem. That's fantastic. You know, you, you brought up a valuable point about belief system because it is the key, I think, that unlocks the lock. And oftentimes I've started out and I use a little bit of a uh, an NLP flip on that and I say, excuse me, what kind of BS are you giving me now? And the client will say, excuse me? No, I mean, what kind of a belief system are you giving me now? That's mm -hmm. your BS. And all of a sudden it changes because it went from, from their talk, their negative self-talk about themselves, like that old scratchy broken record, to getting to a point of going, oh, excuse me? BS. In other words, am I feeling that I don't believe what they're saying? That's the thought. So I flip them over and go, no, I'm talking about your belief system. What belief system are you working in? The one that you think you have to stay with. As you said, and Gail said, this is something we can change. This is something we can go into the subconscious and really take a foothold in and say, excuse me, this stuff was, it's not serving me well anymore. We're moving on. We're going to go to a healthy self-esteem. We're going to get into that. We're going to define it. And we're going to bring it up, and we're going to see where does it fit in our worldly paradigm. Tanya, you yes. work in the fitness industry, so to speak. You are a personal yes. trainer, nutritionist, health mm -hmm. coach, et cetera. How does yes. it fit in? Where do you see it when folks are coming in? Let's say, you know, I hate to hit this all-time all time one, but we all, including me, hands up in the air, have a weight mm -hmm. issue from time to time because this guy loves to eat 
It's one of my one of my one of my vices <laughs> in the world. I love good food. Now I eat good food, but good food still puts on the pounds if I'm not producing enough energy and burning up those calories to get it off and keep it off. <laughs> Something you're very well attuned to because I know you keep in perfect shape. I should, and nobody's perfect, however, compared to me, you're in perfect shape. <laughs> That's it. That said, we, how does it fall? Where do you see it when, when somebody's coming into you? Give us an example. Well, um, what I see in, in my practice and with clients is I, I look at it this way. I'm seeing the symptom, you know, one of, one of the many sums or an end result that is often, when I start working with them, goes back to issues of low self-esteem. And um, to to um, copy the terms and phrases that have already been used, I do a lot of work um, with clients in terms of their belief systems and their BS stories. Because, again, starting at a very young age somewhere, they came to believe that they had low self-worth and typically uh, looked for some form of comfort. And food is an easy form of comfort. It's a very easy form of comfort. It's not illegal. It's available in massive abundance. Um, you can be walking down any street in just about any country or city, eating whatever you want, and, and no one's—you're not—you're not going to get arrested. <laughs> it's very different if you're walking down the street with an illegal substance. Somebody's going to stop you and, and and do something about it. So food becomes an easy form of comfort for a lot of people. So although someone may walk into my office saying, "I'm here because I want to lose weight," um, when I get into a session with them and we begin talking, all of a sudden some light bulbs start going off and really where they're at is a result of a much deeper issue. And it, it 90% of the time it comes back to low self-esteem and food has been their comfort, it has been their friend, it has been the one thing that hasn't judged them and it has made them feel good in an instant moment of gratification but the end result has left them feeling with even worse self-esteem because they look in the mirror and they're so unhappy with who they are um, they're not happy with how they look. Also, uh, nutrition has a massive effect on how the brain operates in our thoughts. Um, it can be linked to um, different diseases and illnesses in terms of um, feeling and emotion. So it's, it's a big part of what I do, and we have to work backwards. Um, a lot of times it doesn't just start with, okay, let's put you on some sort of diet and start losing weight. It's about we need to find this person inside you drop this belief system, um, get you out of the comfort zone of using your BS stories to keep you where you're at or to bring you back there when it gets a little tough, to push you forward into that zone of really owning who you are and being who you are and believing in who you are. And then the process of looking better, feeling better, and that motivation, it really starts to grow. And it's amazing to watch, absolutely amazing. I agree with you 100%. And now here we are again on the BS. And in your case, yeah. sometimes the story is BS because some people are actually giving you a BS story because they don't, nor have they come to grips with the fact that they are in a suffering way from low self-esteem. I appreciate what you're saying about comfort because in the coals of the winter up here in the Northeast with all the behind-the-scenes desk work I do these days, I find that I try to do healthy snacks, but I do my five meals a day, you know, the little meals in between. But still, but still, maybe it's my age, I don't know, I seem to pack on a couple of extra pounds in the winter, which I have to struggle to get rid of in the spring. And yeah. I will tell you, my life has not been all roses. I've been there and done that, and I have suffered from low self-esteem, which is the why I turned around in 2009 and said, enough. Dear God, I need an answer. And I started strategic intervention training with Tony Robbins from there, NLP, and then on to hypnotherapy. And it has been the best, the best three-plus years of my life. And I say the best not because financially I didn't do fantastic, not because there were other areas of my life that weren't just tremendous, but there was missing pieces. It's like a puzzle that somebody took and played a trick on you and said, I'm going to take five or six pieces. You can't complete this puzzle. So I f constantly felt on a daily basis that I was missing those pieces due to relationship issues not working out correctly, just different things that would happen, just these different set setbacks that would happen in my life that just made me feel a little less valuable than I really knew I was worth. The difference was I had to force myself 
And then to become a strategic interventionist, quite honestly, we had to do quite an extensive test. <laughs> it was a massive test, and it was all about where are you in life? And we had to become our first best clients. Mm-hmm. And I think that holds true in anything to do with human needs psychology, which is what I am in strict, mostly involved with in, in my practice as a coach, as, a, as an interventionist. Um, human needs psychology, dealing with those issues around life that cause us to do what we do as humans. And it really doesn't matter what country they're from. There's, there's many countries in the world, but we're all human, so we all deal with the six basic human needs of life. You know, we all got to have that that feeling of of worth, number one. But we got to have that that sense of of protection, which which we call certainty. You know, the roof over our head, the food on the table. Then we got to have variety in life because the closer you can balance those two, the more you are in a happy state of esteem. Your know, level of esteem is like that seesaw, that old paradigm of the seesaw, back and forth, up and down. It's balanced. The closer you can balance, the more variety you can put in your life, or what we call actually uncertainty. I mean, we all need a certain sense of that. And then, of course, we go to love connection. We've all got to feel that love and connection. Okay. And then we have the value needs. We were talking about growth. We've all got to have a certain amount of growth because if we're not growing, we're dying. And it's quite simple. If people get to a certain age, look at the retirees in the world in this country specifically, let alone any other country, they work and work and work and work for that company and get that watch. And at the end of the day, they sit on the porch and rock in the chair with no worth. The growth is gone. They don't feel like they're contributing anymore, and they wither and they die, just like like watering a flower. It's really sad. And then, of course, we have that, that contribution, all right, contribution to the world. Contribution is an individual giving ahead of ourselves what we're all about in Carousel Partners International and the Authentic You team in general across the board. So it's pretty amazing when you look at how we are all so similar in the world. People say, well, we're different. This is your country, and that's my country, and they act this way, and that act, act that way. But people are people. There are different circumstances. There are different conditions. There are different ways of living, and some of it isn't as good as the other. But ultimately... They are now talking, and guys, let me know what you think about this. The last number I heard, it was staggering, is that in the range of 85% of the world's population is dealing in some form of low self-esteem today. What do you guys wow. think about that? Any anybody? Wow, wow. It's, it's well, staggering. I, I'm not. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. This is Sheila. I'm not aware of of any statistics. I didn't do any specific research on it, but. You know, we all said, wow. (laughs) And I think it might be an explanation for so much of the violence and insecurity and acting out that we're starting to see. And I don't think it's just about um, greater technology making us more aware. I think there is an acceleration that's going on right now. And, and, you know, as above, so below, and as within, so without, so to speak. So if I'm not feeling good about myself, I'm going to try and make myself feel better, perhaps by putting you down or taking what's what I want because I don't have it and you do, um, and trying to feel better with all these external gratifications, um, you know, that we were we were talking about in in uh, whether it's an addiction or just collecting and having and consuming. So um, you know, the planet is moving in a very dangerous direction. And I'm not a bit surprised that, uh, at that statistic. And I think it's all the more reason why, why um, you know, us I was noted authorities yeah. at, yeah, at I, Carousel. Yeah, I was, I was, um, it was, isn't it amazing when you think about it, in some form or another was the, was the final end of that. And I listened to it, and I listened to it, and I went, wait a minute, this, this, is, this is really not good. Now, there are people, and, and in coaching you all recognize we have clients that are wealthy, we have clients that are not wealthy, and I'm not trying to put dollars and cents on this because the interesting thing is not too long ago, and there's several instances in the world that we can think about in the news, something I don't particularly want to listen to all the time, but these were these were valuable to me in my profession. There was a gentleman who was very high up, and I won't mention his name on the show, it really isn't necessary, very high up in the motion picture industry, he and his brother, exceptionally, exceptionally successful. I mean, you would think by all outward look that this man has got it all. Happy family, married, children, grandchildren, just amazing the amount of contribution. The man lived in contribution. 
that he had given to the world in his motion pictures and in his in his films. That said, he drove up on a bridge one day, blocked traffic, pulled up next to the guardrail at the top of a bridge in California, climbed out onto the hood and did a swan dive off the edge to his, to his death, approximately five six hundred feet to his death. They did find a note. It's been kind of hushed, and, and 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 with good reason. I mean, you know, a very noted member of the Hollywood Society, very wealthy man in the sense of life, not just money. If you looked at the man's life, you would think, wow, this guy's really on top of his game. But he wasn't. He wasn't. There were issues of low self-esteem that were plaguing him since childhood. Amazing. So... Folks, don't think because somebody is extremely well-off, that they're extremely popular, that they don't have some form of a low self-esteem issue going on. Now, granted, I will agree, it's probably maybe not as bad, but wait a minute. This is a perfect example of, wow, that's a without words picture right there. And there's others. There's others that have done it, too. And there are others, of course, that have hidden it from society, and they don't want people to really know they've suffered a miserable upbringing or something happened traumatic in their young life. And doesn't that where it begins? I mean, if we think back as far back as we can think, when we become conscious of thought that we can remember, we are actually in the area of, what, two, three, four years old? Somebody help me out with that. What are you thinking? What age? Conscious of thought? Mm-hmm. Conscious of remembrance, the way we start to remember. I know, granted, oh, yeah. it's back in the subconscious, but we start to remember somewhere in the age. You know, the pre, the right pre- around the two, because the by two. the time we're five, fifty percent of your belief is is yeah. developed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. critical years. Now, if something very, very traumatic happened to somebody back then, but they felt okay, or it's regressed memory, and then they got into a good situation, and the rest of their life went along fine. Isn't it amazing on a psychological profile level that, in fact, that person is dealing with something traumatic in the in the subconscious? Shall it not be brought out and dealt with, it can wind up in a situation just like that. Absolutely amazing. So is there, is there a steadfast rule on being able to diagnose? Sheila, that would be a good one for you. You've worked in it in that, in that area. What do you think about the diagnosis? Uh, Excuse me, my phone just was beeping. I'm apologizing. There are there are telltale signs that when you sit down with a client, what do you think some of them might be? I mean, you know, from experience. Of low self-esteem. Yes. Well, so many of the clients that come come to me do have histories of trauma, and you know, trauma is relative, just like stress. Um, what might be traumatic for one may not be as as um, adversely impactful to another. And so when when clients start talking about the past, uh, the words they use and their body language are telltale signs for me mm-hmm. that there's more work to be done, that in fact that they have not yet had an opportunity to make peace with the past. You call it self-talk, right? Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Is the self-talk positive? Is it negative or is it somewhere in between? That would Can be, I add uh, something to that too, Jeffrey? Oh, please do. Chime right in, guys. And we're yeah, going to go more of a roundtable discussion. I don't want you just to have to answer to my, my my questions. I want you to start really just chime in here because this is this is really good stuff. And we've got a solid half hour left, and I don't see any callers in the queue, so we've got the show. Okay? So please go ahead, Gail. Well, I was just thinking as I listened to um, our whole conversation is with that self-talk is I I think um, also what tends to happen is with that self-talk is the more that we keep speaking it to ourselves, uh, we we begin to anchor it into our memory and it becomes a part of who we are then. And then we act out that. Um, you know, so that we can be aligned with with our our thoughts. Otherwise, we would just feel like we were like split person, two people. Good point. Good point. Mm-hmm. Isn't it just like when you get up in the morning, you have a regular routine? Our subconscious tells us to do the same thing, almost identical every morning. I get yeah. up, I come out, yeah. I turn the heat up. Exactly. I mean, it's a, it's it's like the old bathrobe syndrome. I don't want to get rid of it because it's comfortable. So we just do the same thing. 
Yeah, yeah, do you think, do you guys, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Who's next? <laughs> I, I was just, yeah, I was just going to ask the question is with that then, Jeffrey, is do you think that there's a fear or a belief that um, a person is, is really powerless to change um, their habits and, and so they just, they just stay stuck in, in, in that, in that place? Yes, that not only do they, mm-hmm. and Sheila, Sheila and Tanya, please chime in on this too, not only do yeah. they stay stuck in it, sometimes it's not an actual conscious recognition. Right. Okay. I mean, yeah. they, they, this is their life. This is their, this is their habit that they go through, an unconscious, you know, the, the, the trans state of brain that's got all that memory back there. Our conscious mind up front really does one thing at a time. It's everything that comes up from the back when we do recall that comes up to the front. Mm-hmm. And they say men are worse than that. Maybe sometimes men can't even do one thing at a time. And that's I'm not trying to pick on guys because we're told we're told that we can't do anything one thing at a time. We can't even walk and chew gum. Thank you very much, ladies. But you know the bottom line is some of us can. <laughs> but that said, it is it is. And and please bear me out on this, not from a man point of view <laughs> of how you feel about whether men can or they can't. But is it not is it not intrinsically a habit that we've developed since youth? Can I add that? Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tanya. That was Tanya. Um, Yeah, the whole thing about our comfort zones and what we know, a comfort zone isn't always something that feels good. A lot of times it it isn't good or healthy, but it's because it's what we know. There's no surprises. Sort of the the saying I use is better the devil you know than the one that you don't. And what I see a lot in my practice is that I often look at it as, that internal dialogue, that that very defeatist dialogue, keeps a person safe in that comfort zone, and not always the fear of I can't achieve it, but my gosh, what happens if I do achieve it? Almost the fear of success or the fear of actually reaching those goals and achieving them, because that takes you very much out of your comfort zone, and all of a sudden, it like beca- it becomes sort of that situation of two people. This is who I was. This is who I was comfortable being. I had my routines and my thoughts. They didn't make me feel good. Um, they they helped keep me in a, in a, a state of low self-esteem, and, and I felt hostility and judgment no matter what was happening around me. But... That at least I know. That I'm prepared for. I have my armor. I have my. I have all my, my. Um, I don't. Not excuses, but I have the things that I tell myself to cope. But all of a sudden, when we start, when I start working with somebody, and we start developing the healthier relationships with food, and changing that internal dialogue, and changing the patterns for successful patterns of behavior to achieve success, we always reach a point where this whole anxiety and fear come in because they they start to see themselves differently and they start to see or get glimpses of, of glimpses of so many things that they are capable of and that can be a very scary place to be. So it's often a crucial point where people can go running back to the old way or you're setting those goals and keep them moving forward, maybe slowing the steps, maybe making them smaller, but keeping them moving but somehow helping them to feel safe because it can be very, it can be like teetering on the edge of that cliff. Are you going to fly or are you going to crash? Absolutely amazing, but true. Thank you. Great point. Good point. We we look at human needs psychology and what I've learned about myself when I had to be that first best client was that in fact I had to break the fear factor. I had to get out of the comfort zone. I not only had to push my way out of the box, I had to eliminate the box. The box doesn't exist. I had to get to a point where I can do it because I'm not going to allow the fear factor to take over my brain anymore. But that is something you've got to get in and change. You've got to become a change machine in a sense. You've got to get in there, and you've got to have guided help to do that. We, as noted authorities, each within our field of endeavor and what we deal with in, in human needs psychology, psychology, et cetera, we are trained to do that. We are trained to help get in and help guide that person to that change, to help them overcome the fear factor. It's amazing in the elementary thought pattern of the brain that the brain is really focused on two things, and that's overcoming fear and keeping you safe. So anytime it feels fear, it throws you into a safety zone. It throws the brain, ooh, don't do that, warning, warning, incoming, whatever. But in a sense, just as you said, Tanya, we can also have a fear of moving towards that which is healthy. 
moving towards that which will change our life for a much happier life and get rid of the debilitating or patterns of, of, of limited self-belief and all the other stuff that goes along with it. They did, they did a study that was very interesting that I'd read about not too long ago about folks in the sales world and what makes a good salesperson and what doesn't. Well, there's no real, you used to say, well, you had to follow this, and you had to do this, and you had to beat somebody up and hit them over the head to get their money. And that was the old way of selling. You know, oh, I'm a great salesperson because I got 10 sales this week and you only get two. Well, maybe the guy that got two did it a different way. He did it by being contributory. He did it with a little bit of finesse. He did it with, with, with helping find the value and the needs in, the, in his customer versus the guy who was all thinking about just the money. So there's different things about fear that fall into that. You know, what is the fear? Well, the guy that was looking for just the money in that sales training was specifically looking for, that was his need. I have to make money. I have to make money. Why? Because he was brought up that way. That was his BS. Now, the guy that said, I'm going to do it differently, and I'm going to lead with contribution, and I'm going to just say, what are your needs, customer, client, and focus on the needs. The amazing thing is the return to that person, double and triple over the other person. And and their growth in business exceeds the other person to the point of the other one starting to scratch his head. A perfect example of that, and I, I don't know who has read it, is the book, the series by Bob Berg called The Go-Giver. And it's all about that. That's one of the, one of the better, um, and, and Bob, I don't know if he meant when he, when they wrote that um, to be to be pushing on the on the line. I got to give it correct correct to do here. It's Bob Berg and John David Mann, the Go Giver. Anybody that hasn't gotten it, uh, wow, it, it's absolutely fantastic because what we deal with in human needs psychology, psychology in general, and helping guide those people to change in, in breaking out of this 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 BS, this low self esteem. The Go-Giver book is just a perfect little companion book to kind of, you know, to help somebody understand, read this, and try to get a feel of what's going on. That said, when we move out through that, um, Gail, you were talking earlier about, you know, our, our BS. We've all been talking about our BS, and, and for those that are just tuning in with us, we're not talking about BS as in the, the stuff that the cows drop on the ground. We're talking about belief system. But it does turn into BS. It does turn into the other stuff that we actually call BS because you you think that this is what you're supposed to do, and you what you what you think you become. So, Gail, talking about the BS a little bit more, when you find a client that is just locked up in the BS, what what give us some indicators of what you feel and what you do to help guide them? Well, it's um, great question. It it kind of depends on what state they're at is is whether they're in a state of anger where they don't really have a high value of themselves. So it's pretty indicative that they wouldn't really have a high value of other people's thoughts or feelings as well. And so it it really um, feeds back into their own repressed anger, hurt and anger. They're hurt from, you know, that they've been carrying since childhood or the anger that they've been carrying from childhood and where is that positioned in their body. And and um, we take a look at how that's continually affecting their life, whether it be with their health, with their well-being, with their relationships. And um, we have them, um, or I have them go back to that time where that anger or that fear or that uncertainty began, and they connect back to that, and we have a process that we go through that allows them to see that that's what it was back then, and it definitely served them, you know, to put this wall up and to protect themselves as a little child because they didn't know what else to do. But as a grown adult now, if it's anger, um, um, the emotion of anger that they're feeling, then to take a look at how they distort that anger today and how that distorted anger turns into low self-esteem and what that causes, how that keeps them suppressed and how it keeps them away from other people. So it's it really depends on what emotion that they're dealing with um, in and what's causing that low self-esteem. So it's really hard to answer that question. Right. Um, just in a in a simple answer like that, mm-hmm. but that's kind of a, a take on if it was anger based on anger, and then okay. we just we we teach them a method of how to calm themselves down, how to get in touch with that feeling, 
And instead of exploding on that feeling, how to express it in a more healthy, more positive way? Because there is, if, and this is the one thing I think a lot of people maybe have a little hard, uh, a harder time understanding is, if there's anger there inside of you, it there has got to be the opposite side of the coin. So if you can feel and express anger, you can flip that switch, and you can feel the absolute opposite. It's just a matter low. of Right. Um, it's same with fear. If you feel if you feel fear, you can flip that, and you you can feel you know the you can feel love as well, and um, and it's it's about teaching people. Uh, this is what I believe is I think it's just people don't know what they don't know, well, and it's really a, and it's really about going out and helping them to understand what they don't know. And teaching them how to breathe properly, which I believe is a really important aspect of calming um, a person down, and that will help reduce their heart rate, so that they can come back, bring their body back to a relaxed state, and they can then understand: is this re- is this anger really what is conducive to what's going on right now, or is this a feared anger from what I experienced in the past, and I'm bringing it into this this uh, this experience of what's going on with me right now? Awesome. Two two great points you brought up, which I want to touch on. The one is the regression technique, what we call regression technique, and there are different thoughts about that. The other, let's talk about the other one first for a second, anger hostility. The one thing that we do in strategic intervention is we want to get somebody to go to forgiveness. They say, are you kidding me? I'm not forgiving that SOB. I've been PO'd my whole life because of that person or what they did or didn't do or whatever that personal case might be. But what they need to understand is that they need to go to forgiveness, not necessarily for the person that may have abused them, etc., or didn't treat them correctly, or the mother that wasn't there, or the father that was brutal and didn't you know, reprimand correctly, whatever the case may be. They need a forgiveness for themselves. They need to go to a place of forgiveness to understand that they need to move on. And that's one point I want to talk about for a couple of minutes. The other one is the regression technique. And then modern modern psychotherapy will tell you that regression is not necessarily the way to go. I've got I've got a double-edged sword on that one personally. I mean, it swings both ways and it cuts both ways. I, as a hypnotherapist in my practice and also in the program that I wrote, the 21 Days of Change Your Mind, that, that we do, um, in fact, is, which has worked very good, has had a 99.9% success rate so far in the four and a half months I've been running that program, and I'm going to expand it because it's so successful, does, in fact, with and use a regression technique in hypnotherapy. Now, there are those out there that will totally argue with me and say, wrong, you shouldn't be doing regression. You shouldn't be bringing anybody back to then because that really doesn't matter. What matters is the where they are now and what they're going to do from this point forward. Okay, that's 50% of the equation, in my humble opinion, from my experience and also from how I've been able to be and how I, how I guide with my clients. The other side of that, side, that other edge in that sword, which again is sharp and it cuts the other way, is that we need to go back. We need to bring them back cloaked in a very, very protective manner mm-hmm. to look at themselves in the subconscious and with hypnotherapy, it's very quick and very safe, and we go. I bring them back so that they can see themselves and talk to themselves and visually see themselves at that age. And I actually have them verbally talk during the session, which is something that in hypnosis we did not do in the past. We actually just took them there, you guided them, and you prayed <laughs> that what they were seeing and what they were able to bring back to the consciousness again from trance to out of trance would in fact be able to something for discussion after the fact so they could say, whoa, I saw this happen to me when I was in the crib and I was left there and I cried my eyes out and I didn't think my parents loved me because they left me in that crib every night to cry myself to sleep. And that's what I remember. And my slow self-esteem is so low and my debilitating belief structure is so low because of that. When they understand that, no, that was a way the parents were taught by parents who were taught by parents who were taught that children should learn when it's time to lie down and go to sleep, and we were all brought up in the old days that way. In fact, almost everybody. So I want to go to Sheila for a second because Sheila being in that in uh, the clinical way of looking at it, what do you, how do you feel about the regression? What do you think about that? 
Um, I'd like to answer that and, and then also respond to a, a, an earlier thread of the conversation about being stuck and, and not realizing that we're, we keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, and Great. and not understanding, as, as Gail said, that um, that we can change, that, that there is a new way of living and doing. Um, I happen to engage in... Um, hypnotherapy as well, Jeffrey, as a, a technique that I uh, make available to clients who are receptive to that particular way of healing, and I do past life regression. Being able to identify the, uh, whether you believe it or not, it's a very fun and effective technique to identify the most recent past life that is adversely impacting my life today and being able to create that safety and rapport with my clients so that they allow themselves to be hypnotized and do have a conscious dialogue with me while they're in a very deep, relaxed state of sleep. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of very positive and protective uh, affirmations and suggestions so that everything is remembered and the value of the experience. Um, it doesn't matter, like I said, whether we believe in, in past lives or not, if someone is willing to trust the process and feel safe with me, and that's something we negotiate and decide together, then we can take this journey and be able to um, have a movie, an experience that might very well bring great insight into why one is struggling or suffering now. So I'm, I'm one who does believe in it, and um, I offer it to those people who uh, feel comfortable using that technique. That's fantastic. What I what I wanted to say about getting stuck and 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 being in our comfort zones and maybe not even realizing that we're there is um the classic question that I often present to my first time visit in in counseling and certainly it it holds up in coaching as well is what brings you into counseling or coaching at this time? And generally a client will respond with a particular event or trauma or getting to a place where they're so uncomfortable they finally ask for help. And I always celebrate that. And they look at me like I'm crazy. But I think that's the first opportunity to begin to change our mindset and realize that maybe bad things don't happen to me anymore. Not really. It's the way I'm looking at it. And it's my perception about my life and about what happened to me that is causing such great distress and I don't have to hold on to the fear of losing control. And I don't have to continue to identify with helplessness and hopelessness. That maybe when I start just looking at things differently and doing this work with someone that helps me feel safe, that I can start celebrating my life more and begin to realize my own self-esteem and value. That's beautiful. That is fantastic. You know, it boils down to that mental picture of who we are, how we look at it, and how good we're at it, and where our weaknesses might be. And like you said, the motion picture, I love that that, that metaphor. When you think about close your eyes and visualize, can you physically go to yourself? Everybody can do this, by the way, audience. You all can self-hypnotize yourselves. We're not, we're not magic magicians from, from the court of, of past, you know, or the justice or whatever, uh, you know Houdini or any of that stuff. We we are trained in this to the point where we can guide you. And one of well, the easiest ones that are that are done out there now is the smoking cessation and the weight loss, which goes mm-hmm. to um, Tanya. Are you utilizing anything to do with conversational hypnosis in your practice at all? Um, no, I don't have. Or, or I should say, not that I'm consciously aware of, because I don't have a hypnosis. <laughs> but what I find happening is that when, um, in in listening, because my a big part of my job is being able to hear and tap into what's not being said to me, right? And and then to throw out the questions that get the brain going, oh, 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 wait a second, and all of a sudden the tears start to come, and clients, like 90% of the time, they just get into a train of thought which leads into a train of talking, and I just sit there and listen, and it's almost like this cleansing process or they're finally getting things out that maybe they weren't even sure were there or didn't realize the impact it was having on them. Therefore, they're remembering from subconscious something that has happened in life. 
and you as a well-trained coach are using both ears instead of your mouth twice as much as you would use your mouth, which is what I've often said, and it's very hard for men to do again. These guys, you know this. You know, we sometimes have a hard time keeping our mouth shut. We sometimes just need to listen, and if we remember God gave us two ears and one mouth, and I'm not picking on anybody because I'm talking about me. I had to train myself in that. I had to realize that to be effective and really be able to coach, I have to get in state and I have to listen. And I really have to listen intuitively. I have to really transfer my energy over to my client. And most everything that I do, 99.999% is on Skype. So I really am looking at physiology. And with physiology and reading body language, and there's where NLP comes in again, when you know what to see in your client, you know the BS. You pick up the BS. You know when they're making up a story. You know when they're kind of lying to themselves. And they don't even recognize it in most cases, which is amazing. So the listening is extremely valuable. It's a great point, Tonya. And those of us, and, and, and particularly this this panel today, I mean, we are there. We we know all about that. We do that. The rest of our team and, and many, many others in the industry, um, folks, if you are looking for a change in your life, if you are wanting that that to wake up to that awareness of the full potential of who you are and who you were born to be, your real self, seek out a great qualified coach. You can talk to anyone on this team, and there are approximately 13 of us, as I said, um, all noted authorities in their, in their, with their niche or niche, however you want to pronounce it, niche, I guess it is, over in the European belt and UK and beyond, and we say niche in the United States. We all have our niche. We all have our specialty. And why we work together collaboratively is, in fact, because if one of us doesn't have all the answers for you, a particular client, guess what? We're going to go to our collaborative effort and we're going to go to a fellow coach in our team on our team and say I have a client and with the client's permission I'd like you to speak to this this client so we do that as well self-esteem it, it seems to be the thing and we I don't think we're putting enough emphasis on it I really don't I think with all that's going on in the world today there's so much emphasis being put on everything else when, in fact, if we could just come back, and some people have actually told me it's a control thing, and I don't necessarily want to get involved with that, the government's control and the world power's control, which very well could be. And, again, this is not the show for it. I'm sure somebody would love to have one and talk about that, but it's not today. But, again, we I don't think we're touching enough on it. I don't think there are enough people who are coming to a conscious. And then let's let's talk a second about the levels of consciousness. <laughs> it, it's really crazy. Who is unconsciously unconscious? I don't know, because they don't. They are just unconscious, because they're just going about a patterned level of living every day, the same thing, over and over and over and over again, until the day they're not here any longer. And then those that are unconsciously conscious, where they are starting to wake up. They're starting to come to awareness, but they're still not there. And then we have the consciously conscious who are awake, who are recognizing their, their cognizance is, is at a level of, wait a minute, this is not all there is. This is not all I am or all I'm who I'm supposed to be. I have a mission. And they are becoming aware of their mission and this great shift that we're feeling in the universe right now with the planets, the alignment. They said we were going to end the world on the 21st of December. No, I never believed that. But what happened was we came to an end of an era, and we began a new era of consciousness. We become more aware, and more and more people are waking up and coming to conscious consciousness, which is to do with overcoming this level of self-esteem, which is considered low and getting to that balance point and growing beyond it. Once a person is guided, and guys, bear me out and certainly jump in on me here. Once a person is guided to this level, and they now become consciously conscious of the fact, yes, this was, so what, it doesn't define me any longer. But, but in retrospect, it has turned them into the person they are today, which in general sense can be a better, more wonderful person because they've suffered they went through it. They had fear. They had failure. People say, oh, my God, that's terrible. Yeah, it is. There's no question it is because everybody lives it. Go ahead. Jump in. 
Yeah, that's cool. To me, when I listen, it's it's growth, and growth is always good because it means you're you're going up and you're not staying put. And um, I've always had a stand firm in that we're not here just to suffer and go through pain, and it's all growth. So I think sometimes the meaning we give that is really important, and I often remind clients Mm -hmm. of that. Um, If you're stuck on, especially if it's a really hard point, whether it's a past trauma or anger or something like a, one of those really well-anchored beliefs or BS stories that I'm just, where we keep hitting a wall, what, um, what I'd like to do is uh, challenge them to give it a different meaning. Exactly, and, exactly. And some, that gets them to turn a corner because it just gets their brain working in a different way instead of being on this steady path of this is awful, this is horrible, this is, this is why, this is why, this is why, it's my excuse, it's where I'm comfortable, I'm going to stay here. Now I'm going to challenge them to get their brain to turn that corner and give it a different meaning. And a lot of times that's all it takes. And then they then they start going, oh, yeah, okay, this is, I own this, but in owning it, I have the power. I claim my power back. And that is mm-hmm. very freeing and incredibly motivating for a lot of people. Wow, that's awesome. Guys, we're down oh, to good. like four minutes of showtime left. What I'd love for you to do at this point, because we could talk about this for the rest of the night, and we all know this, and I'm sure the the audience and those listening and those that will listen in the future are going to want to get in touch with us. So, Gail, if you would, please, contact information for those who would like to reach out to you in a nutshell. Uh, um, the best way for me is just to contact with me, if you're on Facebook, is is uh, is with on Facebook, Gail Velcu, or um, it, my website is not up yet. It's being re- revamped, so that's the best way to contact okay. me. Okay. Sheila? Uh, I have a similar situation, Gail. My website is being revised, and so it's down for maintenance. You can contact me on Facebook or email me at SheilaWilsonCoach at gmail.com. And I spell Sheila with an H at the end, so it's S-H-E-I-L-A-H. Wilson, like it sounds, coach at gmail.com, or I'm on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Tanya. Great. Um, My website is www.tanyafines.com. I also have a Facebook page, Health for Life, with the number four, not F-O-R. And my email is change at tanyafines.co.nz. And I am Jeffrey Miller, known as The Interventionist on Facebook. You can find me as The Interventionist, and Facebook is probably the best point. I think we're all going through this new growth pattern of websites being uh-huh. rebuilt. Mine as well. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's website's coming up as being rebuilt. It's a great time to do that, by the way. Spring, you know, coming into a spring, we're coming into a growth pattern and the shift of the universe, everything. is. We're all into growth right now. And Anybody that's felt that Mercury retrospect and all that stuff, don't worry about it. You know why? Because the more you worry about it, the more it's going to plague you, the more it's going to happen. That's my coaching advice for the day. You might not have asked for it, but that's it. Worry about nothing. Oh, how do I do that? Just simply don't worry about it because 97.9% of what you worry about is never going to turn out the way you're worrying about it. So stop worrying about it. Live life. Don't you say that, Gail. Now. Now. That's it. I knew she was going to put that word on there. That's fantastic. So we've got a couple of minutes left. I, I want to thank uh, the three of you, uh, Gail, Sheila, and Tanya, for being on the show today. This has been great. This is the first time we as a team have come together collaboratively in this way and actually done a joint show. We've talked about it, talked about it. We will be doing this again. We have other uh, uh, folks with us on the team that are going to want to be doing this as well. As a matter of fact, we might have another one next week on a different subject in the world of coaching, in the world of human needs psychology. This is great stuff. Ladies, thank you very, very much. Uh, I've been very, very appreciative and very thankful and blessed, and I love you dearly, our whole team, uh, that we are able to work together in this way and that we are also a member of the Authentic You team, which means we all hold that value, that, that upper level of authenticity, which is being the real you. And that's extremely yeah. important. And uh, we want to thank our producer, Michelle Arbo, the celebrity Yay. numerologist. For Yay. those who would like to contact her, Yay. celebrity numerologist, numbers at michellearbo.com. She deserves that. And Michelle, behind the scenes, running the control station for us, is our producer for Carousel Partners International, Authentic You. Also, phenomenal times coming up in our in our show 
um, not only uh, with Carousel Partners, but in all honesty, Authentic You as a new division, Authentic You Presentations. Presentations is going to be having live TV webinars with the coaches of Carousel Partners, as well as the show hosts and new folks coming on board from Authentic You Radio Media. So we've got some fantastic stuff coming up on our line. Guys, we're down to the last few seconds here. Thank you again so much. My heart Thank goes you. out to you guys. And, and New Zealand. <laughs> great. Thank Go you. ahead. we got this about 30 seconds. So I want to, again, uh, it's been absolutely fantastic having us. And this worked out very well. We'll be doing this again, audience. And uh, thank you for listening in. And those that are listening to Replay, bless you and stay healthy. And remember, don't worry about it because it's all <laughs> going to be great. So awesome. that said, Jeffrey Miller, the interventionist for Carousel Partners International Authentic You Media. Thank you. Bye-bye, folks. See you next week. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.